everyone, and welcome to episode 20 of the Atlanta Man podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Rogers, and on today we have a lot to talk about uh, with the Falcons, the Braves, and even a little bit of college football. But uh, we will start the episode off with the Falcons, who suffered a 48-25 to defeat against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yesterday. Um, that final score doesn't really indicate... Uh, the progress that the Falcons made from week one to week two, still a 23-point loss, which isn't great. But this game at one point was 28-25. to 25. Um, Late in the third quarter, actually, a minute 45 left. Um, Falcons got a two-point conversion to make it 28-25. to 25, And then Tampa went on to score 20 unanswered to end the game. But uh, the Falcons did make it close at one point and made this actually a fun game for uh, a little bit of the second into the second quarter and into the pretty much the entire third quarter. Uh, made it a pretty interesting game and uh, some fun stuff that happened and some good progress. So we'll get into the whole the whole entire game right now, just the play-by-play kind of and the key moments, I feel like. Um, Tampa Bay did score first in this game. Uh, it was a 20-yard touchdown to Gronk from Tom Brady. Made it 7-0. And the second score of the game was also a uh, touchdown to Rob Gronkowski from Tom Brady. So it was 14 to nothing early in the second quarter. Uh, that was that was the two big scoring plays early in the game. Uh, as far as the Falcons go, they this, it, when this game started, it looked like it was going to be really, really rough. Um, and I, I guess it kind of was overall, but the beginning of this game, it looked like it was not even going to be a competitive game, even at any point during the match, the matchup. Um, but... That, that did change. Um, there was some very questionable fourth down decisions from Arthur Smith in the first quarter. Uh, punting on fourth and one um, when he tried to do a tr- like a trick, hard count, fake punt, hard count on fourth and one that resulted in a false start. And then going for it on fourth and two on the next drive and not getting it. So just kind of uh, just maddening stuff right there with the fourth down play calling or whatever you want to call it, lack of lack thereof play calling of just the kind of dumb trick hard count, which I just don't know what they thought was going to happen. And it resulted in the Falcons jumping off sides because Russell Gage went up too hard to the center. And uh, yeah, just a kind of a rough start for Arthur Smith on the fourth down play calling and this overall play calling. Um, you know this. I kind of it's kind of the started off as a repeat of last week against Philadelphia. Just the lackadaisical play calling. It just kind of felt like Dirk Cutter was still calling the plays, which is not what you want at all, um, under this new regime with Arthur Smith at the helm of the offense. Uh, but that would turn around. Uh, that would turn around. The Falcons did go down fourteen nothing, like I said, but they did score shortly after they were down fourteen nothing. Cordero Patterson had a ten yard run to make it fourteen to seven, and that was the first touchdown that the Falcons have scored all year. That's uh, only week two, but still, eleven forty eight in the second quarter was their first touchdown of the year in game two. Uh, the Bucks would respond back though. They got a touchdown with forty three seconds left in the first half to make it twenty one to seven. But then uh, the Falcons got kind of fortunate on some uh, officiating calls, um, some unnecessary roughness calls, I think, that really um, bolted them into field goal range. And they were able to get a 36-yard field goal from young Hui Ku to end the half and make it only 21-10 to at half, which isn't great, but uh, manageable to be sure. 
So we move on to the third quarter, and uh, right out the gate, Tampa goes on a drive, and Mike Evans catches another touchdown, make it 28 to 10. And at this point, things are looking pretty bleak, down 18 to this team. But the Falcons go on a, I'd say a eight, eight or so minute uh, magical run here where it was just a really fun eight minutes of actual game time, I'd say. Uh, they score a touchdown with uh, Calvin Ridley from Matt Ryan, three-yard pass to make it 28-17 to 17 with six minutes left in the third. And then with a minute 45 left, a really nice play from Matt and Cordero Patterson. Uh, Matt kind of made like a little jump toss to Cordero, and he had a one-handed catch, and he ran it in the end zone for a seven-yard touchdown. And uh, that made it 28-23. to 23. And then Matt Ryan on the zone read to go for two, hurdles, not hurdles over defender, just kind of dives over defender into the end zone for the two-point conversion, and all of a sudden, it's 28-25 to 25 in a hurry. And the Falcons just kind of took over this game offensively and defensively for a large portion of the third quarter. Um, I've been kind of skimming over the defense. The defense was as solid as you could be, I guess, against this kind of Buccaneers offense. I mean, the Buccaneers are very good, obviously. But I haven't got to talk about them much, so I'll do a little bit of that now. I mean, the first half, it is what it is, 21 points in the first half. They did get some stops, but when they weren't getting stops, it was just um, the Buccaneers were just dropping out of the field at will. Um, but in the third quarter, the Falcons got the two touchdowns and with stops here and there, and they, they did really good defensively in, uh, in, in like that eight, eight, eight to ten minute stretch I was talking about. That was just pretty magical for the Falcons. Um, everything was clicking. Um, offense and defense. So, 28 to 25 with a minute 45 left in the third quarter, and I think right after that two point conversion went down, and everybody kind of got that uh, that glimmer in their eye of hope, and everybody was drawn back in by these Falcons. I think the uh, the proverbial horseshoe fell out of their ass because things take a take a take a tough turn after that. Um, Buccaneers they score a touchdown. Nine minutes left in the fourth to make it 35 to 25. Uh, the Falcons had a really, really botched punt before that. Um, that gave the Buccaneers excellent field position, and they just went right down and scored. And then, if that wasn't bad enough, going down 10, Matt Ryan throws a pick six to Mike Edwards. This one was his fault. Uh, pick six to Mike Edwards, and uh, that made it 41 to 25 because the Bucks missed the extra point. And then with four minutes left, a uh, pass got tipped to the line by Matt Ryan, and Mike Edwards, again, <laughs> picked it off and took it to the house for a pick six, his second pick six in four minutes of the game for Mike Edwards. So I guess good for Mike Edwards. That's pretty awesome. But it wasn't awesome for the Falcons. So, yeah, right after right after that uh, two-point conversion for Matt, when things the game was down to three and things were looking like, oh, my God, could we actually – do this it uh it just all fell apart um you know things just everything went Tampa's way and everything went against Atlanta um offense couldn't get anything going really for just the game um defense you know they, they gave up the one touchdown but the other two touchdowns were defensive touchdowns for the Buccaneers so nothing much they can do about that but yeah that that is the game pretty much those two <laughs> those two pick sixes were it was just laughable because it was just like, of course, like, no way things were going to be uh, this this fun or easy for a Falcons-Buccaneers game in the state in which these two teams are in. But 
Yep, that's the final 48 to 25, and that's how we got there. Now we'll get into some uh, some some statistics, how some guys did, some very inspired performances from some guys that we'll get into. Uh, we'll start off with Matt Ryan, though. I think Matt played very well in this game. He did have three interceptions. Um, I think, I believe, two of them were tipped and caught. So I think, like, the first pick 63 was on him. But the other two interceptions, I believe, were tipped up. And, you know, it's still not probably the best decisions he made on those throws, but probably not 100% his fault. But he went uh, 35 completions on 46 attempts um, and had 300 passing yards and two touchdowns. But he did have three interceptions, so that uh, that just sounds kind of the big blemish on his line for this game. Uh, Josh Frozen actually did come in this game, and uh, he threw two passes, both of them were incomplete. So, um, yeah, there's actually a good bit of garbage time at the back end of this game, which is just surprising because of how close things got. But, yeah, I think Matt played well, you know. Um, in this game, it was like his first interception, like 175 attempts or something, which was like the longest active streak in the NFL. So it's not like he's been a turnover machine um, like last week or towards the end of last season. Not at all, but a three-interception game. Credit to the Buccaneers' defense. They were very good. They are a very good team overall. Uh, Mike Davis was uh, kind of really not not great in this one. Um, Rushing-wise, they did have a few receptions in this one. Um, actually, more than a few. Now looking, at he had seven catches in this game. Not for a lot of yards, but did have seven catches. But on, on the ground game, he went for nine carries, 38 yards. Um, an average of 4.2 yards per carry, which isn't horrible, but um, not great either. A long of eight. Cordero Patterson. Had seven carries for 11 yards, and then he had the rushing touchdown, uh, long of 10. Um, he was just really good again. He continues to impress, um, rushing and on the receiving end. We'll move on to the receivers now. The Falcons' leading receiver as of yardage was Kyle Pitts. Um, he had five catches for 73 yards on six targets. Uh, he had the 24-yard catch, um, which was a really nice run after catch by him. He had an average of 14.6 yards a catch. He was really solid in this game. I think he should have gotten a lot more targets than six. I mean, he caught five of his six targets, which is really good. So I think I thought Kyle Pitts, for when he was getting the ball thrown to him, was awesome. And um, I think next week and the rest of this year, he needs to get a lot more action um, because I think he, like everybody knows, he's a freak and how athletic he is. And I think just get the ball in his hands and he's – gonna make something happen just like on that 20 that big 24 yard run that catch he had and the all the yards after the catch that he had on his run it just kind of shows how impactful he can be once he can get a little a little head of steam downfield and just get the ball in his hands and go I think he can be very very impactful so and that's what everybody thinks too and that's why he was drafted so high uh, we'll move on to Calvin Ridley who had a better game than, uh, than he did in week one for sure uh, 10 targets, he caught 7 of them for 63 yards and a touchdown. Um, not like a very loud Calvin Ridley performance that he's capable of. Like he's capable of like a 10 for 150. But definitely a better game than he had last week against Philadelphia. And he caught a touchdown, so that's good. And then we'll move on to Cordero Patterson, who was awesome um, receiving-wise in this game too, especially for our back. Uh, 5 receptions on 6 targets, 58 yards, and he had a receiving touchdown, a one-hander. which was really nice. So Cordero Patterson continues to be just really good and just a, a, I think everybody liked that signing that the Falcons made this offseason, but I don't think anybody 
expected him to probably be the best running back through two weeks. I think everybody had kind of high hopes for Mike Davis to be solid. And he's, uh, I mean, he hasn't been horrible, but he's just been kind of mediocre to start the year. So, yeah, um, Cordero Patterson has been pretty, pretty good for the Falcons. And he had two touchdowns in this game. So, really solid for him. Uh, the defense, I think Foya Luwakon played pretty well on defense. Um, he led the team and tackles with nine. Um, Deion Jones got a sack in this one. Dante Fowler got a strip sack, actually, on Tom Brady. Caused him to fumble. Marlon Davidson got a sack. That's good to see him get in there with some action. So the Falcons, the Falcons' defense, I mean, all in all, they only gave up, what, 35? They gave up 35 points to the Tampa Bay offense. And I know it's hard to say when you give up 35 points to a team that they didn't play, like, terrible but I really don't. I really didn't think they played all that bad, man. I mean, this Buccaneers team is just really, really good. I mean, all the weapons that they have at their disposal for Tom Brady to throw to—it's insane. I mean, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Gronkowski, Leonard Fournette, Antonio Brown, who only had one catch in this game. I mean, they just have so many options. It's hard to hold down all of these guys, and um, Tom Brady really spread it out to all of them. I mean. A lot of guys had four guys who had four or more receptions um, in this one. Tom Brady threw five touchdowns, and, yeah, he, he, I mean, they're just really good. Um, the offense and defense side of the ball, but I think the, the Falcons did make some really good progress, especially on the offensive side with Arthur Smith calling plays. I mean, there's, a, I mean, like, there's like a 10-minute sequence in this game where the Falcons were clicking offensively. And I hope it's not a flash in the pan or anything. Hopefully it's something that they can build on and take into the next coming weeks, and then maybe we can get a whole game of them just clicking and kicking the, out of somebody. So I can definitely see that happening. Um, but, you know, you got you to gotta keep it going because, you know, there was the awesome moments in this game. There was also the head scratchers, you know, the fourth the fourth down play calling, whether it was them running for it on fourth and one late in the game, trying to go up the gut and getting nothing. Or, you know, the the trick, hard count play, whatever that was. You know, just some questionable decisions still. And I'm sure Arthur Smith's still working out the kinks for this for this offense uh, to, get, to get going. So hopefully they can build on that next week because they will be facing the New York football Giants on the road next week. Uh, right now the Giants are listed as three-point favorites. The Giants are 0-2 as well with the Falcons, so... Yeah, it's it's a winnable game for sure. Um, it's not they're, they're not facing the Buccaneers again, but yeah, it's a it's a winnable game against the Giants on the road though. So we'll see how that goes. We'll be here to cover it, and hopefully the Falcons uh, come out with a win next week against the New York Giants. So now that'll do it for the Falcons talk. Um, and I'd say it's an improvement on last week, even though they lost by twenty three. Um, you know, I think it was uh, an improvement overall for the team. Um, this this time around so we'll move on to the Atlanta baseball club who had a bad week and uh, all things considered all, a bad week um, they were off on Monday after they beat the Marlins in a three-game set and they had a another three-game set scheduled at home with the Colorado Rockies who are a very bad team on the road but as of late they have come to life on the road they just took three out of four in Philadelphia against the Phillies right before they came to Atlanta. And uh, they come to Atlanta, and they actually technically sweep the Braves. They won every game they played against them, which they only ended up playing two. We'll get into why they only played two later and all the ramifications of that. 
But we will start off with game one. Tuki Toussaint on the bump for the Braves. And it will be John Gray on the mound for the Rockies. But the Braves get the scoring started off in the first. Freddie Freeman has an RBI single to make it one to nothing. But Tuki 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 did not have his best start in this one. Trevor Story hits a homer off him in the second. Garrett Hampson singles off him in the second to make it two to one. Dansby does tie it up in the fourth, but Brendan Rodgers would come back and take a 4-2 lead for the Rockies with a two-run shot off of Tukey. Rio Ruiz hits a sack fly to make it 5-2. Adam Duvall, though, hits a two-run homer to put the Braves back in in the bottom of the eighth. Makes it 5-4, but they cannot get any more runs. The Braves drop it 5-4 in the opener against Colorado. We'll move on to game two, which was played in a monsoon. It was on the mound for the Braves. Huascar Enoa going up against Antonio Senzatella for the Colorado Rockies. And once again, the Braves got the scoring started off early, and they scored first. Eddie Rosario had a single in the second to make it one to nothing. But in the fifth inning, things would get rough for the Braves. A run scores on a sack bunt from Sensatella to tie the game. And then Huascar Inoa walks in a run with the bases loaded to give the Rockies a 2-1 advantage. But in the bottom of the fifth, Eddie Rosario hits a rocket into the chop house to tie the game at 2. And that would be all the scoring until the 10th inning in extras when Rymel Tapia hits an RBI single for the Rockies, the Braves can't do anything in extra innings because they just don't know how to. Um, and the Rockies would win the game 3-2 to two, um, off the Rymel Tapia single. And on Thursday, the game was postponed due to inclement weather. And I do not know if the Braves are going to play this game this year. We will talk about that later. But yeah, that's up in the air for sure. So on to San Francisco where they will face the Best team in baseball record-wise, the San Francisco Giants. In game one for the Braves, it was Ian Anderson on the bump against Logan Webb, the young stud for the Giants. And this was a really good game for probably a third-party fan. But as a fan of either the Braves or the Giants, this one was an absolute nail-biter. Um, we'll get... The scoring got started off early, once again by the Braves, and Adam Duvall with a two-run double in the first to make it two to nothing, but in the bottom of the first, the Giants respond right back. Brandon Belt almost hits one into McCovey Cove to tie the game at two. Then in the second, Brandon Crawford hits a homer to make it three to two. Oh, and then in the fourth, Lamont Wade hits a homer to make it four to two. And that would be all the scoring until the ninth inning. Travis Darno comes through with a three-run homer to make it five to four. And oh my goodness, you can just feel, feel the big win coming on. All they gotta do is protect the one-run lead. Will Smith, two outs, two strikes, one more pitch. Oh my god. He gives up a solo shot to Donnie Solano. The game gets tied at five to five. Will Smith blew it again. And probably the worst time all season to do so. 
The Braves cannot score in extra innings in the 10th or the 11th. They go 0 for 6. They don't move the runner to third base once in extras. They get out of the jam in the 10th, but in the 11th, the Giants are out of bench players, so they have to bring in Kevin Gossman to pinch hit with the bases loaded, the game on the line, and he hits a sack fly to win it. Braves lose 6-5, to five, and what I think is the worst loss of the entire season for the Braves. We move on to Game 2, and things don't get any better in this one as the Braves get shut out with Charlie Morton on the bump. They lose 2 to nothing, and both runs came on a 50-mile-an-hour single from Kurt Casale. And that would be all the offense in this one. Charlie Morton goes five innings pitch and two earned runs. Not his best start ever, but definitely not a disaster. And Alex Wood, in his return, former Brave, uh, went three perfect innings against Atlanta with four strikeouts. So, not great as the Braves are on the brink of getting swept in San Francisco, and the division lead is down to one heading into Sunday, and they need a big-time performance from Max Freed, and boy, did he deliver. Seven shutty for Max, five punchies, only one walk, three hits, but a big goose egg in the run column for the Giants. My dog is barking, and the Braves get all three runs in the top of the seventh on back-to-back jacks from Adam Duvall and Eddie Rosario. And, oh, yeah, Eddie Rosario, who was traded for Pablo Sandoval, hit for the cycle in this one. He goes triple, double, homer, single in the ninth to do it. And the Braves get a huge win to salvage the series. They win three to nothing. And the Phillies lost on Sunday night baseball to the Mets. And the division lead is back to two. And the magic number is down to 13 for the Braves. <clears throat> All right, so get into big picture stuff now. First thing we'll do is we're going to look at the projected, the projections of the playoff odds as of right now for the Braves. So as of right now, the Braves have a 74% chance to make the playoffs. And they have a 71.9% chance to win the NL East. Which uh, went down significantly over the weekend. But with last night, with the with the Braves winning yesterday and the Mets losing last or the Phillies losing last night, the Braves playoff chances went up 13% in one day. So yeah, things went like really downhill for the playoff odds for a minute. Um, yesterday was huge for the Braves winning and the Phillies losing because uh, I think things were getting down to like 60-ish, 50. So I think yeah, after yesterday it was 61% that the Braves made the playoffs. And you know, the Phillies' playoff chances went down 15% yesterday. So that's the uh, projections. Now the Phillies' schedule is a whole other thing that we'll get into in a minute. But um, we'll, we'll talk about some of the stuff that happened in these games um, first, we'll talk about the postponement situation with the Rockies. It is very likely that the Braves are only going to play 161 games this year because of this. Uh, because since they are the Rockies and they play very far away in Colorado, and the Braves and the Rockies do not share an off day for the rest of the year, there is no other spot to make this game up except for October 4th, which is the day after the season ends. So... I think the only way that the Rockies and Braves are going to play this game 
is if the Braves have a half game lead in the division or they are down a half game in the division. So they'll either be fighting to just clinch the division right there or they will be fighting for fighting to um, get to a game 163 against probably the Phillies for the NL East championship. So an NL East cha- uh, uh, de facto NL East championship game, which you don't want. So it's uh, it would be better for the Braves not to have to play this game at all. If the Braves do have to play this game, it's not a good thing. Um, I'll just say that. It will be having to fight for your life in a weird comeback game against Colorado is definitely something you don't want to do. Um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty much the whole situation um, on that postponement for the Braves and Rockies. So now to talk about this giant series, I really just want to talk about Friday's game. Um, I, I already said how big the wins on Sunday, the win on Sunday was, but I just want to talk about what all happened on Friday night, and it was um, that was a baseball game. I'll say that I was uh, kind of out of it for most of it because I just thought the Braves were done. They went down four to two. The offense was sputtering, sputtering, sputtering big time. Ian Anderson was falling behind every guy he faced and giving up. A bunch of homers, give up three homers. First time in his career he's ever done that. But um, Travis Darno, man, shout out to Travis. He had a huge, the, like probably if the Braves won this game, this might be the biggest hit of the season for the Braves. A three-run homer in the ninth against the best team in baseball to take the lead. And, I mean, oh, my goodness, that is just absolutely massive. Like just a huge swing by Darno. I really can't overstate in the moment how big that was. I was just kind of speechless, just because that was just um, I couldn't believe it. That was just the biggest swing of the season in the moment. And Will Smith, man. I mean, I I don't even I don't even know what to say at this point. You know his numbers on the year really aren't that bad, but God, you just cannot feel good about this guy in these tight tight situations like. Today, for example, they brought him in the close when it was three to nothing, and I think that's fine. But when you get down to these one-run save situations, you have got to start thinking, okay, maybe we got to put Matzik in here, maybe Luke Jackson here, which is crazy to say. If, like if you told me that at the beginning of the year that Luke Jackson might be a better closer option than Will Smith, I'd be like, yeah, I don't, I don't think so, man. But I mean, he is like I think in a one-run game, who do you trust more? Will Smith or Luke Jackson, I mean, I think the answer is pretty clear. Same thing with Tyler Matzik. I mean, both those guys have just been nails all year, and Will Smith has been, you know, the farthest thing from it. But, um, yeah, I, there's the little Will Smith rant of the homer he gave up. I mean, he threw, like, freaking 100 sliders in a row to Solano, and, I mean, he eventually got one in the zone, and he just smashed it. I mean, mixing a fastball, man. I mean, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be the one having to say this. It's pretty ridiculous how slider, curveball happy he gets especially in the ninth inning. And, I mean, I mean, you were cruising, dude. You got the first two outs like it was nothing, and it's a two-strike count. I think it was 2-2, two, two, two outs. And, I mean, dude, just throw a heater up there. I mean, you throw him that many sliders in a row, there's no way he's sitting heater, that he can crank a heater out of the ballpark. There's no way. I mean, worst-case scenario, he's going to smack it for a base hit probably or just bloop it in or something, you know. Throw a, throw a damn fastball, Will, if you're listening, which you're definitely not. But, I mean, sh- man. Anyway. We'll move on to the extra inning affairs in this one. And uh, Gabe Burns, shout out to Gabe Burns, who works for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, covers the Braves for them. He tweeted out a very jarring statistic for the Braves. Um, 
in the extra innings because the Braves went 0 for 6 in this game in extras, did move the runner over, yada, yada, yada. The Braves are 2 for 37 in the 10th inning this year. 2 for 37. That is just incredibly bad. And um, I went back and see who had the two hits. One of them was Max Fried, who had a walk-off single. And the other was uh, actually last week, it was Jock Peterson's walk-off single. So two for 37, and one of the hits was from your pitcher, <laughs> pinch hitting, and the other one was from Young Jock. So good for Young Jock. He can actually hit in the 10th inning. Him and Max were the only two guys on the Braves who have got a hit in the 10th inning this year. That's pretty wild. Um, there's another stat out there. Uh, the Braves were four for nine. And um, an extra this year, which it seems worse. Um, there was a stat out there about the Giants that I want to pull up, just just to give the Giants some credit, because they are the Giants. They are very good, and for them to win this game is just something that they've done all year. They've uh, they've just kind of randomly found ways to win games so it's like crazy. I mean, the Giants have a good team. They're having a lot of guys having just kind of like a a renaissance year. A bunch of older guys like Brandon Crawford, Brandon Bell, Buster Posey, uh, Evan Longoria is having a good year. All that they they're having they're having a really like special season. This sort of like they're on like a like it seems like a team of destiny type feel for them. Cause I gotta find this stat. I'm trying to pull it up right now. But there's they're I think they're about to break the all time record for most pinch hit homers in the in a season, which is just insane. I'm trying to find it right now. So I'm just kind of kind of stalling. Here it is. I just found it. All right. So with Donovan Solano's pinch hit home run in the ninth inning, the Giants now have 16 pinch hit home runs this season. That's the second most in a season in MLB history, and the, only the Cardinals, of course, was the Cardinals had 17 in 2016. So the Giants have like 14 more games to hit two more pinch hit homers, which I think they probably will. Um, but yeah, I mean, credit to the Giants, man. They're having a freaking crazy season, and I'm about to pull up their record now. They still lead the. They're. I mean, they're still being the Dodgers. You know, West. They're 97 and 53. That's the best record in baseball. They only have a one game lead on the Dodgers, who are the second best record in baseball. But they are just awesome. Um, and they've gotten great pitching from Gossman and Discafani and Logan Webb. You know, they just find ways to win games. And when you get into the playoffs, that's what you have to do. And they just know how to do that. And that's something that the Braves don't know how to do because they can't hit in extra innings. I mean, the fact that they won this game with Kevin Gossman hitting, I mean, it's kind of like the most Braves thing ever. But, man, yeah, that was something. It was kind of like the most Braves thing ever of Kevin Gossman coming on and driving in the winning run against the Braves. I mean, just straight-up revenge game for Kevin Gossman. Good for him, I guess. He's, he seems like a he seems like a funny guy. I like Kevin Gossman, but it's neither here or there. That's just tough for the Braves. But yeah, the Giants, they have just been absolutely preposterous all year. And um yeah. After after that game, the division league was only two, and then Saturday the Braves lost and the Phillies won to make it a one game lead, and that's just whew, close for comfort. Thank God that uh that the Braves won on Sunday and the Phillies lost because two games, it's not a huge lead, but it surely feels better than one. And um, so now is this the time of the podcast to look ahead at the Braves' schedule and we'll look at the Phillies' schedule because I think it's important. So 
Tonight, the Braves are in Arizona to face the National League's worst Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, it's Huascar Enoa against, what is this guy's first name? Humberto. Humberto Mejia of, of the Diamondbacks, who I believe is a rookie. Um, no, he is not a rookie. I mean, he probably might technically, technically still be a rookie, but I think he did get some playing time in 2020. He did. Um, so that's the first game of the series. He's got four in Arizona. Uh, one thing I do want to talk about is that there is a no starter announced for Tuesday's game against the Diamondbacks, and I think it was like StubHub, I believe. I'm, let me go look. I think a ticket outlet actually leaked to the Braves were starting on Tuesday if I'm not mistaken, um, and it was Bryce Elder who was drafted in 2020 and who's been killing it all year in the minors. But it is um, it is on here. I don't think it's on StubHub, actually. I think it is on it is on CBS Sports website. And they have it listed. Bryce Elder, who would make in his Major League debut for the Braves on Tuesday, who was drafted just last year, um, just over a year ago, um, so yeah, that would be fun. I think I would kind of like that. It would be very cool. He started this year in a ball. Um, so I think that would just be kind of awesome for them to give him a start. Actually. I mean, it's the diamondbacks, man. I know you're in a stretch run, but I mean, the other options are Tuki Toussaint or Drew Smiley. And, um, I mean, I just, at that point, give Elder a shot. I mean, it's kind of, it wasn't on my radar. I don't think it was on anybody's radar for him to make his debut this year, but I'm and, uh, and granted, I don't know if this is real, but um, just going off if it could somehow be real, um, I kind of like it. I th I'm, I'm, I'm digging it. I think it's cool. So, yeah, I don't know if that's real or not. We'll see tomorrow night. But it is, um, according to the guy that tweeted this, It um, he saw this on CBS Sports website. So not StubHub. But, um, yeah, I mean, the other two options are Tukey or Drew Smiley, and they have just been dreadful lately. So I don't love that. If one of those got a pitch, I think you should piggyback those two. If that is, and that if that does end up being the case, but right now, TBD is still um, what it says on Major League Baseball's website, on every other outlet except for CBS Sports. So I don't know what inclined them to do that. If this is somehow fake, I don't know what inclined them to put that on there. Um, I guess I don't know. I guess Elder is lined up in AAA to pitch on Tuesday, and they just think, oh, TBD. That means they're going to call up whoever is lined up to pitch on Tuesday to pitch for them in the big leagues. So maybe that's their thought process, which is just wildly irresponsible if that is what they're doing. But maybe they just know something that no one else knows. Maybe they've got some kind of leak from the Braves, which is a very rare occurrence. But, I mean, it's kind of a weird thing. So anyway, move on to the rest of the week. Two more games in Arizona. So you got four in the desert against the worst team in the National League. You kind of need to sweep. I mean, honestly, they're that bad. But three or four is the minimum here. If you split this, that's bad. That's bad. I don't care that you're on the road. They're the worst team in the National League. Win three out of four at least. So next series is a, another four-game series technically. Uh, the Braves will have four results out of this series is what I should say because they have to resume a game against San Diego. It was a seven-inning game that got rained out in Atlanta on July 22nd. Um, the Braves are currently losing this game 5-4 to four in the bottom of the 5th. Um, they actually started this game down 4 to nothing. They have came all the way back to make it 5-4. to four. They started the game 5 nothing actually, and uh, made it 5-4. to four. Um, And Jock Peterson is due up. 
So Jock Peterson is due up for the Braves in the bottom of the fifth. They'll be Jock, Dansby, and Freddie. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that will be the first game on um, on a Friday night, and then they'll have another one at 10 o'clock against the Padres, and they have two more, and that will be the games for the week. So four, so they play eight games technically. They'll have eight results this week, and now we will look at the Philadelphia Phillies schedule, which off the top of my head, I know it's a cakewalk, but I just don't know which order these games go in. Excuse me there for the burping. Um, they play, <laughs> they play seven games this week. And um, they have three at home against the Baltimore Orioles, who have the worst record in baseball. And then they have four at home against the Pittsburgh Pirates, who are like a top or a bottom five team, maybe bottom three in baseball. Um, so, yeah, just absolute cupcake city for the Phillies this week. So the Braves need to take advantage of Diamondbacks. And I know you got to play, uh, play the Padres, who are technically a good team. Um, but they are just on an absolute downside right now. They're 76-73. They're 2-8 and eight in their last 10. And they're starting Jake Arrieta and Vince Velasquez on purpose. So, yeah, the, the Padres are very beatable right now. That's what I'll say. So, Braves, I mean, like, at least go 5-3 and three this week. A 6-2 and two or 7-1 and one would just be fantastic because after they play, after this week, they're – First, their first um, series next week is the Phillies at home, which that's the division championship for for uh, for for lack of a better term, I guess. That's that's going to be the division division championship series, even though that's not a real thing. But um, unless like the Phillies fall apart or the Braves fall apart and the Phillies go crazy, I mean that that could be the division. I mean, I think the Braves could technically clinch this week. They could. I think that would require. The Braves, if the Braves went eight and zero this week, and the Phillies lost five games, they would win the division. So two and five for the Phillies, and the Braves go eight and zero, and the Braves would win the division. That'd be crazy. Not gonna happen though. If that does happen, that would just be so funny. But that's just my brain just thinking. Oh, what if that happened? So yeah, um, that's enough talk for the Braves. We've kind of gotten really deep into the weeds here. We're talking about Bryce Elder. I mean, we're getting, we're getting. We're getting real deep into the farm system here and all that, talking about all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, that's it for the Braves. Now it's time for our weekly college football roundup where I talk about the two Power 5 teams that play in the state of Georgia. Um, and one of them is Georgia Tech, who played Clemson this week, and I thought this was going to be an absolute bloodbath, and it was the farthest thing from it. Georgia Tech only lost 14-8 to to Clemson. Uh, the defense showed up. The defense was pretty awesome in this game. Um, I think um, that is mostly because Clemson's offense just isn't as good as it once was under um, Mr. Trevor Lawrence. But yeah, fourteen eight. Georgia Tech didn't score a touchdown. They got all their. They didn't get a touchdown two point conversion. They got two field goals and a safety actually. But uh, Georgia Tech had the ball at the two yard line, down fourteen to six in the final minute of the game. So. Um, yeah, like they had a chance right there to, you know, if they got the touchdown two-point version, tie this game and uh, send it to overtime. And then they, after that, they turn the ball over on downs at their own goal line. Then they get a safety against Clemson because they fumbled it in the end zone. But they end up getting the safety. They could have got a touchdown there if they recovered it, which would have been better. But safety and the Georgia Tech got the ball back. I mean, they had the ball in their hands with a chance to, if they were to score a touchdown, 
and make the extra point, they would have beaten Clemson in Death Valley. Which the fact that that even was a scenario is a win for me and for Georgia Tech. Um, so, yeah. Jordan Yates played pretty well, 20-33, 203 yards. Um, couldn't get anything going on the ground because he was also their leading rusher with 32 yards. But, yeah, that's a very similar to the Falcons. Uh, something to build off of and some kind of improvement for Georgia Tech, which are, this is my jackets, man. They're my jackets. So I'm kind of kind of proud of them, actually, for losing to Clemson. But, I mean, they, they played pretty well, I'd say, for, for – um, for who they were playing against and the environment in which they were in, which also, granted, the environment was kind of, um, what can I say, stagnated, watered down, because there was a two-hour lightning delay in the middle of that game. So once the game resumed, it was not as raucous as it usually would be at Clemson. So um, do with that what you will. But, um, yeah, good game for Georgia Tech. So move on to Georgia. Really not much to say. They blew out South Carolina, 40-13. Um, to 13. Didn't watch a snap of this one. I was watching um, Auburn-Penn State in the end of the Georgia Tech game while this was going on. So, you know, Georgia fans, I'm sure you know better than I do how good Georgia is this year. Uh, um, but there is Georgia does have a kind of a tough stretch. Not next week. They play Vanderbilt, and they're going to beat Vanderbilt by like a 1,000 points probably. But then they got to play Arkansas. who's actually good. They're 3-0, and they're 16th in the country. Then they go to Auburn. And then they play Kentucky, who's 3-0, so Kentucky might not be a cakewalk. And then they play Florida, who almost beat Alabama. So, just saying, Georgia might Georgia might lose, actually, guys. If anyone's listening to disagrees, they might. I mean, they always kind of they have that one game where they just uh, crap the bed and, you know, like a Georgia sports team will, they have that one game where they everything falls apart. So, as a, Georgia Tech fan, as a biased Georgia Tech fan, I'm hoping for that, so... You know, any Georgia fans, I'm sure you don't like to hear that, but that's what I'm rooting for. I hope they lose every game for the rest of the year. But, um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll stop the college football talk there. That'll end the show. If you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And um, I will see you in the next one.